0: Most managers, leaders, coaches are looking at how we do something better, so they can have a negative lens um, and being able to flip that into a, okay, make that, let's make that a positive um, is a really difficult, difficult skill.
1: Welcome to Season 2 of Voices of Value, a conversation between Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton and their high-achieving guests from professional sport, Olympians, business leaders and ordinary people with value hacks to share through simple life lessons. If you're keen to reach your next level personally and professionally, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Rick and Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Voices of Value, Rick
2: Rushton here with my good friend, Peter Kakos. Pete, another special guest this week. Absolutely, Rick. And
3: uh, it's great to be here in, uh, in Domain headquarters of kindly... Uh... Uh, giving us their
2: boardroom to uh, to inter- interview in Domain HQ. Not a sponsor, but we should be putting out the old invoice. I would have thought. I yeah. mean, we're giving them a massive amount of free promo <laughs> here. But what a week! I mean, we've retained the ashes, uh, which is very important for me. How and you. good! How good! I'm pretty sure Paul McGee would want to know that. Our our guest last uh, episode. Yeah, it's pretty
3: quick to tell us how the uh, test before went, but yeah. um, didn't uh, hear from him this no. week. So, uh, Shout uh, out
2: uh, to Paul. How's Wigan going? Mm,
3: probably not so well. Probably not so well. But they had a week off because it was an uh, international week there in, uh,
2: well, in the football world. Yeah. Then we know they didn't lose. That's so that's, right. that's that's <laughs> a that's a win. That's a win in some respects, isn't it? And uh, and this week we're just going to carry on that uh, leadership uh, bent that we've been on for a while. Not so much about you know, how we get the best out of ourselves as self-leaders, but more importantly, how do we get the best out of others in our teams, whether that be professionally, personally, in our family units, and more importantly, in all our connections in our sphere. Absolutely. And the man that sits next to
3: us, uh, Trent Hotton. Now, I was at, uh, at a dinner uh, a few weeks ago yep. with the Melbourne United crew, the basketball <laughs> crew there, and um, Vince Crivelli, the, the CEO, was next to me, and Dean Vickerman, yep. he's a big boy, Dean, he's got the biggest forearms I've ever <laughs> ever seen, and, uh, and it nearly broke my hand when we shook hands, but uh, but we were, I was talking a little bit about Voices of Man, what we did, and Maybe hinting at Dean getting on the show, and um, but both of them just spoke so highly about the gentleman that sits uh, to my left here, Trent Hotton. and um, and then we got I ch- got chatting with my cousin uh, up in Mansfield, and uh, he said, you know, you need to interview on Voices of Value. You should interview Trent Hotton. Okay, so you're sensing a bit of a uh, alignment
2: of the planets. <laughs> it was um, all it was all happening. You and better and, uh, make this happen. Just, and and give, here we are. Give some context to our listeners who, you know, Trent Hotton, whilst he's uh, had a an AFL career, I mean, it wasn't sort of you know, without wanting to sound. too too critical. It wasn't like as if he's an AFL great. So let's just talk about his journey into it and Look, how that will happen. I've read it was a checkered um, football <laughs> career.
3: I, I like the word colourful yeah. rather than checkered. Colourful would be nice. He yeah. it was it was yeah. kind of that
2: laid-back cat in a semi-professional era. But, you know, growing up in the Latrobe Valley, he skips land, loving three things I hear. He was passionate about his paper out at seven meant to be nine, but anyway, fudged that a little bit. Very passionate about basketball, which seemed to be the first love, and Mm. had an interest in in football. And I think the entry point into the elite – AFL system is so funny when yeah, you just hear that Trent's trying out for a, a representative basketball um, sort of side, and then during the lunch break, things so I'll go and check out my mates across the road who are trying out for an elite AFL entry. That was side. a big country, wasn't it? And, and yeah, it was. <laughs> and then just as he's there trying to have a run, yeah, let's have a run. Coach is going, well, "Who's this kid? Where's he come from?" And that's the entrance into AFL, which I'm sure you'll structure <laughs> yeah, t- a little bit better.
3: Yeah, look today. Today's going to be a little bit about just want to give some context, as you said, Rick, around yep. um, uh, where um, Trent's career and so forth. But today is really. Around what Trent does today, Perfect. and that is that is to lead teams. Um, we're going to get onto the culture conversation. We love a good culture conversation, don't we? Don't Incredible. Right. But just uh, as we said, providing context, it was nineteen ninety four. There was a preseason draft. We Carlton picked you up, Collingwood. Collingwood, sorry, Collingwood, Collingwood picked yes. you up. Yep. yep. So I jumped there. Get the again. Order right there. Yeah, but uh, it was uh, seventeen games for Collingwood, and then uh, <laughs> yeah, quite a poor return in three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but anyway, took a, took some time out. We'll get back to. Why that came about,
2: and and the discussion with Tony Shaw there, and then then went to the mighty Eastwood Rams. You played for? I did. Did you forward pocket, back pocket? I was a really well known gutsy forward pocket, sort of five kicks, swapping in the ruck, three goals, two out of bounds on the full. I was very hungry.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But then, uh, and then basically went back into um, to the AFL ranks and uh, got picked up in the '99 draft, and then uh, in 2000 uh, joined the uh, the mighty Blues there where you played uh, 61 games um, for Carlton. So better,
2: better return on the, that better investment. Better return over the three years, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. But, um, but after footy joined um, joined leading teams, a group called Leading Teams, where um, you're empowering high-performing teams and leading and leaders by facilitating cultural change, which I think is really cool, and um, and then started to do some work with Melbourne Storm, uh, Auckland Blues, uh, Carlton and Essendon back in the AFL, and then... Then went over to Europe Okay, yep. took leading teams to Europe. Looking forward
0: to hearing about that. Yeah, it was it was good fun. Before I think I, just before I went to Europe, I think Port Adelaide were my last AFL team I worked with, had a, yeah. year, a year with uh, with those guys. That's just right. Port Adelaide went ultimate. from 13th to 2nd in that year too, lost a grand... Yeah, unfortunately we got... Pummeled in the grand final by a record margin, but uh, yeah, the, the year was I suppose deemed to be successful up to that point.
2: Yeah, that was against Geelong, wasn't it? I it think? was. Yeah, it would have been Nathan Buckley's great chance to win a flag. It's a story the story for another time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to today, though, and uh, and and Trent now um, founded a, a business called Team Effect, where he continues um, developing high performing teams and quality leaders. Primary objective being to deliver sustainable programs that focus on developing effective staff relationships, leadership, accountability, and Ultimately, improve
2: performance. So uh, we're all about performance here, Rick, aren't we? And in the time we've got left, Trent, thanks for joining <laughs> us. That's it. We've just given you a CV, your bio. Uh, just check out Trent online and know it's. Uh, but it's, it's important to, to know, it that, know that note um, that that
3: Trent is doing some some great work with Melbourne United. Dean Vickerman, head coach of Melbourne United, attributed uh, well well a very influential part of that nine. Um, 2018
2: Premiership. In the NBL National Basketball League, for those who don't follow that uh, particular Correct. Current,
0: Silver Ferns, very topical at the minute. Trent now doing some work with the Boomers. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Probably for about the last six or seven years, been doing some work with the Boomers. Yeah. Let me uh, ask you a different
2: question. Is there anyone you're not working with that are bloody <laughs> high performing? Because you're working with – so listen to that diversity there. There's got to be a wealth of knowledge here. So let's just but make just sure we Just before we're that, that let's yeah. welcome Trent Houghton. There we <laughs> go. Thank
3: you. <laughs> Good and uh, welcome to the microphone on Voices of Value. It's an absolute pleasure to um, to have you with us, and uh, and uh, we're going to just tap into that brilliant mind of yours. You've had um, incredible career in terms of uh, playing elite sport, and now you're uh, you're around some um, some. You've been around some incredible people, and continue to be around some incredible people. The Boomers is right. You know, let's let's go straight to the Boomers, can we? Because that is topical. Last right, night, yeah. absolutely. Um, they had a um, big win um, against um, France. Had a
0: great win, points, yeah. 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 The, uh, two or three, two. Point, yeah, something two like that. I so yeah, two. it was quite late when I went to bed. So it was, um, yeah, it was unbelievable. They've been going really well, you know. Just desserts for the effort they've been putting in for the last, you uh, know, six or seven years.
3: Mm. So when we talk about culture, and I want to get your take on culture. Culture to me is conversations. Uh, culture means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Let's start with culture can we go right off the bat with yep. culture and um and then weave in whatever teams you're working with and any examples you want to give that'd be great to sort of hear but first of all Trent hottens uh, uh what,
0: what what does culture mean to you a culture is, to me it means the habits we we do day in day out so it, it is as simple as that it's what we expect and what we do every day that that is your culture I, I think that's
2: really just a great summation is it? it's the habits we do when we're in this place whether that be the four walls of our professional environment the four walls of home this is how we act this is how we behave these are the habits we've brought into our life and I know that of you and you know that of me so I now know how to behave and if we actually have that sort of habit you know mapped out understood we can now all operate within that space I guess
0: yeah absolutely and and I suppose when we set up well how are we going to create a culture and you know put all the plaques up on the walls and different things. That, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't make a culture. What what basically culture is defined by is what we reward and what we challenge. So if you reward something over and over again, people go, oh, that seems like it's a good thing to do. I'll do that. Um, but too often we get blindsided by talent and skill and we go, oh, geez, he's really talented. I'll let them get away with that or, yeah, that's okay. We'll tolerate it this time. Um, yeah, Every time you do that, it erodes on the culture you want.
2: Yeah.
3: I
0: love yeah. that. And that's why I love that. I love
3: What you don't confront, you validate. Absolutely, yeah. Picking up straight away and um, already I'm getting a sense that you – would you say that I've got this sign up and I've, I've mentioned this a few times, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Is is it a key is it a key message to keep things really simple when you're dealing with teams and so forth?
0: Absolutely, be as simple as you can be. Like, make it plain and basic and obvious. Um, you know, and I've had people come away from some of my workshops and go, geez, it was pretty basic." Say, mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that is. It, yeah, it is as simple as that. You if you see something, do something about it. See something, you know, see someone do something good and reward it. Yep. see something do something that's not required and not wanted in your organization and do something about that. So it's
2: a bit like Melbourne Storm see something say something I say I give feedback because I care about my team one of the one of the habits if you will one of the cultural values of the iconic Melbourne Storm by you know Craig Bellamy and Frank Panizzi, that sort of set up there. Absolutely
0: clearly. yeah and and look I know Melbourne Storm quite well I've spent three years there early on yep. uh, in Craig's reign. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's been there for quite a, quite some time. Yep. About, you know, let's have a chat about it because I actually care. I care about us, but I care about you as, a, as an individual and I want you to get better as well.
2: So how does that differ from the Boomers? Because their they're current topical, as Pete said, they're in the World Championships right now. Um, how does, say, the, uh, the Boomer program where, if we're really candid, some of these are earning – Immense amounts of money, like what they're earning in a season, most NRL players wouldn't earn in a whole career. Absolutely, yeah. uh, You know, they're not driven by salary caps. They're not driven by sort of the reality that you know they're part of twenty five million, not a part of you know two hundred and fifty million or three hundred (laughs) million, whatever's in the states, plus globally. So, how does it work? Where I reckon it'd be easy to bring in values, habits, behaviours to reward, acknowledge, and keep accountable to in a in a group like that. But when you've got you know an absolute talented superstar who's worth multi-millions of dollars, he goes, so if I don't like it here, I'll just go somewhere else and get the same paycheck somewhere else.
0: Yeah, and that makes it really difficult um, for NBA teams um, and it makes it difficult for you know, soccer teams. Uh, Australia in the AFL, we've got an advantage in team chemistry because you can't just go, i oh, bugger it, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and, and the same with a national team. You can't go, oh, I don't, don't want to – you know, I don't want to buy into these values of Australian boomers. I'll just go somewhere else and win a, a gold medal with another country. Yep. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So we've sort of got that advantage where in, in the Olympic sports where, hey, I want to play for my country, I want to represent my country, I want to get gold medal. Um, and really what happens is the boys then decide on, and, and particularly if we are speaking about the boomers, deciding what's the best way for us to win it, this is the best way for us to go about it, and all agree on that. Um I don't think anyone anyone buy into a system they don't believe in and don't believe that that will give them success,
2: or if they don't even know why they're buying in. Like if they don't know why and there's no buy-in, yeah.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And again, the why is the win. Okay. You know, generally, people go, hey, I want to. We want to be successful." Most people who play sport play and for enjoyment, but they it's so much more fun when you win. So, so, so most of our listeners
2: would be people that probably run more of the Australian program than the world program, i.e probably my best producer, probably my number one talent is the one who is least likely to buy into the values and probably wants to do it their own way and I almost have to forgive them because if they leave, they take a, a fair chunk of their of our business with them. So how do you, in our industry, the 300-pound gorilla, how do you set up values that brings them on board and not at the risk of losing them and not at the destruction of everything else you're trying to build?
0: Yeah, and, and I suppose um, – yeah. You look at the AFL teams, and there's many, many losing teams that are littered with great players, um, and there's a, a huge amount of teams that, that have not had one, you know, fantastic best player in the in the league or or generational player who have been ultimately successful, and so buying into that is really important. Uh, and I would say, you know, that that one player, and if you think about, if you look at Melbourne United as a as a team that we're currently working with, and, and Chris Goulding. You know, was definitely seen as the best player, yep. one of the best players in the NBL for for quite a time, uh, but hadn't had any team success. And so he desperately wanted that team success and really was then going, well, what do I need to do to get team success? And really once they sat around and talked about it, he brought in, you know, bells and all it was like right great i'm I'm fully fully in um to the point where he would he gives more assists that sometimes he probably needs to shoot the ball more um but in that context he was like I think our team needs to share the ball more so I'm going to lead the way with that
2: wow so that's uh, so he's got a very clear why he wants the championship and Absolutely. he understands that you know all the individual awards aren't going to give him what's missing in his cabinet which is a, 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 a you know a championship ring and it always reminds me Peter that. A great book by Phil Jackson, Sacred Hoops, when he's talking about you know, having to have the conversation with Jordan, arguably the greatest player that's ever played, saying, "You'll win another MVP. You'll be the most valuable player in the league, not just at our club, but this club goes nowhere until you make Scotty Pippen MVP and all the other. You know, how can you make us better?" Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you're coming from, the to give away assists from Gouldy's point of view is to say, "I'm trying to help us make you know be better by bring more of my team- teammates into the game."
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think any team's only really successful when every person on that roster feels like they can contribute. Um, And if you don't hit the floor – then it's really hard to feel like you can contribute. Yeah. You know? So it, and when you're on, it's about being able to have the license to make plays and show how good you are at certain um, things. Not necessarily go well. You we can take on the whole world, but he, here's your here's your skill set that really helps. We're going to try and give you looks in that situation, and try and make you uh, you know as accomplished as you can out on the floor. Love it. Yeah, talk to us about the Silver Ferns. That's, uh, that's
3: that's that intrigues me because from the outside looking in, they're they I mean like the All Blacks, uh, New Zealand. Once they seem New Zealanders, once they seem to do something, they're focused on it and they they deliver. And there's been such an incredible rivalry um, with the Diamonds over here in Australia and the Silver Ferns there. What have you gone in there? What 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 are they basically?
0: You're in there to say fix what? Oh, I wouldn't necessarily say fix anything. Um, Generally, I was just there to, uh, when I work with any group, it's not necessarily – that's a special role. It's just part of a cog. Um, one of the it's things like that, that. Mm. they wanted me to help them with was performance conversations. So to give you an example, and, and I can talk about this freely because I think they published it in one of their local papers. <laughs> so, um, I went along to the first training and I, a couple of passes, a couple of centre passes, they were just doing a practice drill uh, and the passes were going a bit askew. And both the passer and the intended receiver – Turn and said, sorry, and walked back to the end of the line and went again. And then same thing, both said, sorry, again. And I was just like, I grabbed them mask and said, what were you sorry for? Like, I, I don't know whether it was a bad pass, whether it was, a, you know, where you need to lead differently. It's not about blaming each other. It's about working out what will make it work next time. Um, so you both don't look like you've, you've made an error. So you both don't need to apologize. You both need to talk about what happened and how you're going to fix it.
2: So words change worlds if we get that conversation right. And it gets back to Pete's opening point about culture being conversations. Hey, can I give you some feedback there? You know, I actually think when you spot it that side, that's not to my favorite side. I prefer it over here as opposed to saying sorry, sorry. And assuming the other person – knows what that means yeah, intuitively. Yeah.
0: it's very hard to understand sorry <laughs> yeah. when it's a one-word situation. So, But the intent's right. The absolutely. The intent's always right. And I think when um, – and getting back to that point where teams generally want to win and players want to be involved in winning sides, sometimes they you – know, there's very few people who come in and go, you watch me screw this team up. Yeah. Like that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so when people are doing the wrong thing, it's not usually intentional. It's usually I thought that was the best thing for the team in this case. Um, unless we all have good discussions about that, and, and it's we talk about it in you know the binaries of it. So yes, I scored this or I didn't score that, but the the why we scored it and why we didn't score it are the most important things.
2: Yeah. So when you do these sort of observations in organisations, you're asked whether it be professional sport or professional business, and you go in sounds to me like the first thing you do is observe the actual current behaviour so you can get an understanding about where the gap might be and then you coach the gap. Is that fair to say?
0: Well, trying to a little bit, but but I suppose the first point of call I do is understand what they believe they need to be. So, you know, I've seen a number of different teams and I've seen teams operate in different manners. Um, But unless, as I said earlier, unless they believe – they need to change or there's a reason for change, then it won't happen. Okay. So
2: there's um, no buy-in without that belief-driven or yeah. behaviors belief-driven and we've got to get better at what we do.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I worked – when I spent some time in the UK, I remember one of my first clients uh, was a cricket team and um, a county team and they uh, and they had a bit of a discussion around, well, you know, Trent's here to help us work as a team and one of the batsmen said, oh, I don't, I don't think you can help us. I don't think we're a team. Uh, we're, I'm an individual sportsman. And um okay, well wow. that's interesting. What do your ten teammates think about that? And they had a discussion about it for about half an hour to decide whether they'd actually benefit from behaving like a team. <laughs> Uh, they obviously, Had your work cut uh, out there? They're they, yeah, the right, <laughs> they obviously in the right on the place. bottom of the ladder at the stage. Um, but yeah. but that's for me the essence of any group. Like if you if you're in a corporate industry and, and you've got a line of reports and you say, well, I'm not, we're not a team, we're just a reporting line, then you're never going to get any benefit no. from working as a team because you don't believe in it.
2: So how do you help that sort of individual? So when he says, oh, mate, I'm not really part of a team, I'm an individual. Well, it's very hard to get. Last man gets his Tucker in county cricket. So you actually need someone down the non-strikers end to help you get through. Uh, by the way, you actually need uh, about ten other teammates to actually form a team for you to actually go bad. I would have thought.
0: Oh, absolutely, but uh, but I suppose it's the context of it. Um, you know, even even in the field, how they support each other in the field, because you know, if you're getting your, your the ball, ba- you know, banged around the oval, it's a pretty lonely place for a bowler. So how do the batsmen, in the field support them? You know, yeah, there's a whole Great different point. array of w- ways that you can you can behave as a team, and um, you know, I, I say that often at the Boomer scrimmage, you know, they'll play green against gold or something like that and and after each scrimmage they you know sometimes they'll go get a drink and always know who's going to win the next scrimmage because the the team that actually gets together and talks about what worked what didn't how they're going to improve it generally comes out and wipes the other the other color off the court um great observation it, it's not it's not rocket science that the discussion around performance and and when you know when teams start to go poorly that's when that's the usually the time the voice drops off and that's, that then that's even worse. So we actually dig ourselves in a bigger hole.
3: So, Trent, moving, moving on to some of the, the coaches that you've been around, you've been around some incredible, um, incredible voices uh, throughout your, your career, not only as a player but also then as a, uh, as a leadership um, coach and uh, facilitator and so forth. You know, the likes of Lee Matthews, I mean, you know, just an incredible guy. You know, one of the, the best players and coaches that's ever played the game. With um, the highest-pitched voice. Didn't yeah. really match, did it?
2: <laughs> Tony Shaw. Um, <laughs> record games holder at the Colony Magpies. Thanks, Rick. Thanks. North <laughs> Smith <laughs> medalist. 1990 <laughs> grand final.
3: Dennis Pagan. Uh, yeah, yeah, two-time Elite. North Melbourne Premiership coach. Um, you know, Kevin, Kevin Sheedy, um, coach more <laughs> games. Does he catch more games than anyone? All right, well, it's a, a, a lot. A, a, let's, let's go is. with that. Not, yeah. not,
2: not more than Mick Malthouse, but better. Yeah. Full time premiership. <laughs> Guys
3: like Wayne Britton and Mark Williams, who you said before, and um, and you would have seen some incredible um, growth of teams as well, because as you see now, when teams are coming from 12, 13, mm. 14 on the ladder, and then Playing, you know, playing off of the, on the big Lions. stage, Brisbane Lions this year is a classic example. Um, mm. Sammy Harper loving that. Yes. So, but talk to us about the the coaches and and the messages and the and the, and, and the necessi- necessities for say clarity or whatever it is. What do you think makes a good
0: coach? Jeez, um, <clears throat> a good coach for me these days is one that. Cares about their team and cares about their people, so they're be, they're becoming much more people managers these days mm. uh, rather than strategists. You know, there's there's plenty of strategists in the assistant coaching roles, and um, and even within the playing group. You know, the the group that can actually harvest the information and put it together and make it as plain and simple as possible generally has the best results. Um, but generally, comes back to a care. You know, if if a coach cares about a player, they will generally and not. The the difference I feel is if he cares about him, we'll play for them. Players I haven't seen go out and play with less intensity or less effort than generally is what is required. But what they'll do is come with more confidence. So if they know that a player, a coach has their back they're prepared to try things and, and experiment, or, or you know, they're not holding back. They're generally going. I know the coach got my back, so I'm going to have a fair crack at this, without fear of repercussions of you know being dragged from the field, I'm being dropped or different things, um, and generally that's what. P- allows players to play with their utmost confidence.
2: Was there any coach you played under that you felt gave you that sense of care, that you belonged, that you had you know, latitude to learn and, and, and you know just take the game on and if it didn't come off you'd be okay? Or was that still too far back in the old semi-pro days of uh, the, of I the
0: think, sport? I think the p- coach um, at the AFL level I felt did that that I felt did it the best for the whole group uh, was David Parkin. Yeah. David had this innate ability to make everyone feel like th- it was them that was going to influence the result of the game. Yeah, you know, so everyone was like, "Right, I'm the difference here." Um, you know, and I've played across a number of different coaches who who have probably instilled that into a number of people, but not everyone. Yeah, uh, and I think that's the difficulty of coaching because everyone's got a personality, and you, <laughs> and you like some people, and you don't like others. And, yeah. uh, and as a coach, you've got to put that to put that aside and, and really start to invest in everyone rather than just the ones you th- you feel like you're really close to or the ones that you feel have got the most advantage. And
2: that's the same in the AFL, isn't it? I mean, you've got 44 players on the list. You can't broadcast one way and expect that everyone's going to get that. So you're going to have to be making sure that you're tuning into who they are, give it to them the way they want it. We've been really fortunate to hear that conversation from someone like Wayne Schwoss talking about his relationship with Dennis Pagan, who he absolutely respected and he got the best out of, but also he was the reason why he knew he had to leave North and go into a, a different environment. It. So it's just yep. interesting when you hear the specific feedback like this. Pete. Well,
3: guys like guys like Park and Matthews, Pagan, Sheedy, I mean we're talking the legends. elite. The legends. absolute legends of the game and elite. And and for those and we've all to be very mindful that not everyone listening to Voices of Allies AFL. But so we're trying to you know get some context around this is really around leadership, great coaching, and what can you instill into your team and or into your family yeah. um, as leadership for that extent. Absolutely. I want to talk about two people. One's Luke Beveridge, um, and from a from a Western Bulldog sort of point of view. As I've just said we don't want to talk about AFL <laughs> all the time. But but I think this is a really interesting one and, I, and I'd love your opinion on this, Trent, because Luke Beveridge went to went to the Bulldogs, put his arm – he's a typical put-your-arm-around-them sort of coach and would go down to the reses and watch the reses and talk to the players there, th- those who weren't in the, the senior team, um, and and really nurtured them and then then took them to a flag like from 13th position, which was just phenomenal. Hardwick did the same thing with Richmond. Mm. My question is around a comment that Nick Del Santo made around St Kilda's new coach this year. This was pre, um, um, Rich O. Yeah, uh, no, no, post post Rich and pre um, Brett Ratton. Um, Brett Ratton getting the role. He said that St Kilda doesn't need to put your arm around me, coach. They need someone who's going to instill some.
2: Um, um, What's the word I'm looking okay, for? a bit of – so it, was he looking at that through the filter of Ross Lyon though? The, that was the coach he had at St Kilda? Uh, that demanding I don't know. I, I think
3: he sort of – I think he felt it was a bit laissez-faire. It was a yeah. bit – people were allowed Touchy to sort of feely. do what they want Too touchy-feely, whereas someone discipline. needed to actually get in there and get some discipline, yeah. do some – Drive and standards. the ground rules yep. and so forth. Yep. Dennis Pagan like you yeah, could yeah, say. Yeah, I get it. Yep. Um, because then you look at a guy like Chris Fagan now up in in, um, in Brisbane. Yep. and I think he's got uh, – to me from the outside looking in, he's got a bit of both yep. sort of happening. And he, he loves his players. And as you said, Trent, you got you know, love it. But I think he just – when you look up to someone and, and you've got that respect for them, I think
0: that, yeah. that holds great weight.
2: But Luke Beveridge has got that same respect, as you say, and he, he went from a totally different standpoint. So you're right. He's a hugger. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it. Everyone has their different styles as a coach. I think, but but you've a you've got to care, and B you've got to be really clear about what you stand for. Yeah. So if you're not clear about what you stand for, and then keep rewarding that, or again, even though you might really like a person and be a hugger or want to put your arm around them, when you've got your arm around, them, you still can say that's not the way we're going about it. We're going to do it a different way. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think that's important. And I think as you say, you know, having those conversations. And you mentioned a few of the names, and and Lee Matthews wasn't a a uh, a, a big talker in terms of in his first stint at Collingwood. I think when he when he got to um, Brisbane, he changed that and added more dialogue to his to his coaching repertoire. But but the conversations that I had with him at different times when he opened up a bit was the ones I remember. Yeah. You know, when he'd tell you a bit about himself and a bit about what he did and why he did it, those sort of things and his motivations were the things that I remember most vividly. Um, and so I think when coaches can be be humans, yeah. You know then it's much easier for the player to relate to them.
2: So do you think the best coaches are the ones who live consistently with the values that we've set as the group and they seem to be a living, breathing example of those values as opposed to someone who goes, there they are up on the wall, that's what I want to coach. That's not who I am, but <laughs> that's what I want to coach. Do as I say, not as I do. Do you think it's the authentic
0: ones that are the better coaches in 2019 moving forward? Oh, absolutely. It's very difficult to say do this and I'm not doing it. And the same with your leaders. You can't yeah. have you can't have a leader who doesn't abide by and drive those standards either.
2: Yeah. So you need... To Total buying. Do you can I flip it one little bit? Can when you work with groups, whether they be professional sport or you know, in professional business, when you're seeing some conversations that, that are happening, do you see yourself in some of those people that are sort of coming up with, um, you know, excuses where this really isn't that important to me, I'll go do something else, you know. I you know, I, I hear you're asking me to make these sacrifices to be a leader, what I do, I'm not really that comfortable. Do you do you reinvent in some of the thinking, some of your, your things you're thinking, gee, that's me when I was 19, 20, 21?
0: Um, yeah, I, I do a little bit at times um, and I actually can – Sometimes when I have this conversation with my children about how they're traveling, <laughs> I was going to get into that with yeah, the boys, but uh, that's a story for uh, I got time. three boys, and they are always saying, Dad, did you do it? Did you do it this way? And I said, No, I didn't. And, uh, and uh, that showed, um, you know, they, they certainly have have a ability to Google and understand why I was no longer at Collingwood. And, and uh, so when they have conversations about that, I'm like, Yeah, well, I made a mistake and, and I played 17 games in three years. You know, if you want to. Go along that line,
2: then keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, right. I get it. So, but do you see that? And then you, so that, then having that experience, do you know now know how you would probably influence that person? Thinking, I'll look at it through not through my understanding as a coach today, but through the eyes of a nineteen, twenty year old person who's probably Good not question. aware of it.
0: Yeah, and I try, but but I suppose I'm getting further from nineteen to twenty every year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, I suppose tapping into what motivates them now, if if. Being part of that group and and tying into, and often uh, when we start to identify well, what's our identity as a group and what are we going to do, automatically you're then talking with each individual about how do you fit into that. Now, if you can't see yourself ever fitting into that, then that's then you don't need you can't be here. So because,
2: no, nothing will work.
0: <laughs> well, you know you have to really tap into what, what are they trying to get out of it and why yeah. and how and you know Sometimes they're not doing it because they don't feel like they're. They can impact, or they, they don't feel like they've got the support of people around them, or they fit into the team. You know, so you know, part of it is they're making sure. Okay, well, let's do everything we can to make them feel comfortable and confident yeah. within these environment. And if and if we do if we do all that, and they still can't come on board, then they maybe don't want to be
2: here. Okay, so give them the environment to flourish, just like plants. But if they if they need more dynamic lifter than just water, and you know, the environment can give, we might need to question whether they're you know not right for us.
0: Absolutely, because you know, you, time you don't have all the amount of. Time time to spend on the one yep. person. You know, if you're spending all that time on a couple of your outliers, um, then then that's really difficult. It becomes taxing. It can be a long, you know, basically to, particularly in a sporting team but also in a, in a corporate sense. They've got long weeks. They've got a lot to do. You mm-hmm. know, you can't spend all of your time trying to, trying to drag someone in and get them motivated. You know, you can give them a bit of time but you can't spend your whole week on it. <laughs> no. True, knowing what you know now, um, we love Rick and I love talking about
3: the rear view mirror versus the um, windscreen <laughs> and sort of looking forward and using that in, in in perspective. So knowing what you know now, do you look back much? Do you have any, do you have any regrets of, of the talent that you had as a 20-something-year-old now? And, you know, I, I love these conversations, these real conversations with your kids and so forth right now. But you, as you as a person now, and 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 knowing, and obviously the wealth of information and and the journey that you've gone on, um, has been quite enormous, and, and the value that you give others is 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 quite tremendous. You know, um, any regrets? Do you look back much?
0: I don't look back a lot. I tend to I tend to look back a lot when I first started, um, really for lessons, for whys. Yeah, you know, I, I think understanding the whys of different things is probably more important than trying to change it now like i I always just say after a game you know there's not much i can do differently let's review it find out what i can do differently but i I can't actually change that um and so the same the same with my football career i I don't really regret it i suppose if i didn't make so many errors then I probably wouldn't have the knowledge that I do today about teams and how they function and, and how it can impact you know, adversely on different groups. Mm.
2: So that gave you the opportunity to again go work with Ray McLean and the much-vaunted leading teams which sort of set up your uh, sort of philosophies around what you're doing today, which is interesting. Um, and I guess that sort of uh, that leads us into the next section of your evolution because, you know, when Pete talks about regret, it would be easy for someone to go, oh, you know, I played 17 games in 60R. CCT, I, I was probably – I had the talent to play 200 games but I didn't, but I've learnt the lessons – why so wisdom comes from wounds i've got those i understand that did you ever think before we just hit into leading teams because you had a chance to go to the u.s to sort of develop not just your educational standpoint but your basketball and i reckon if you want to be a lumberjack you go to the the woods if you want to play basketball to to go to the u.s would have been outstanding but you were very clear that you knew you'd miss your family dramatically, and you miss your friends even more. And you knew that wasn't going to give you the best. So you sounded like you—you you really already summed up in your mind that that wasn't going to be the way for you. But do you regret maybe missing out on what would have been a perhaps potentially a, a life-changing sort of experience with your basketball?
0: Ah, uh, no, not really. I, I think I think it was probably far too early. Like I know guys are going over. For, it was only in year ten. Yeah, right. Um, and I know guys are going over and playing college, uh, high school basketball now, but but certainly in year ten, I, I, it was just beyond my wildest dreams that that, that was possible. Mm. Um, so when it was sort of offered as a bit of a scholarship, it was like I didn't really even Understand. consider yeah. it. No, I didn't even consider it. It was like that's not going to happen.
2: Crazy. Because in them days too, I mean, today it's just you, know, you you can Skype your family and you feel like you're in the next room. But then that would have been a you know totally different sort of experience for you. I would have thought. Absolutely, yeah. Being a you know again a country lad it's fair to say. But yeah. uh, but anyway, moving forward to leading teams because that's like whether you're in professional sport, professional business, leading teams seems to be, you know, Ray's work, you know, for more than two decades now working with, um, you know, bringing the disciplines from uh, his former role in the Air Force, I think it was, and um, bringing some of the strategies around, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, how do we get the team to drive all that? Talk us through that experience because that that was obviously career-changing as well as life-changing for you.
0: Absolutely. Um You know, I I really enjoyed my time there. I spent uh, probably 10 years at Leading Teams um, and I think one of the things that I really enjoyed was the performance conversation. So when I first started there, you know, we were working in sort of schools and classrooms and we're running a similar program over and over again. So it was quite repetitious but the fact we actually had people sitting in the back of the room uh, and afterwards would sit down and critique us and and go through, well, how did, what did you think you did? And, you know, how could you change it? What would you do differently? Really gave us the opportunity to have. Calm conversations about performance every single day, um, and it just became second nature. So I think that's where the greatest benefit derives. You know, I'd look forward to, and actually there was a there was a, a few months there where no one, said, oh, you guys are going fine, we don't need to come and have a look, and I got really annoyed. I was like, No, I want the feedback. I want someone in the back of the room. Like, come on, you know, it's been a month. So I need someone to sit there and give me. You I know, still a need my
2: Lionel blanket, my Lionel blanket. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was
0: a bit like that. And I know when my first couple. Years when I actually was out at Melbourne Storm and different things, I remember you know sitting in the car park, ringing Ray and going, "All right, this went like this, and you know, this happened, and and talking through it." And Ray Ray was a great listener. He 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 basically was a sounding board. It was t- he he would make you come up with the solution yourself, and and in the end, he, he I think he went to sleep after time on the phone <laughs> I was him, But uh, but look, he, you know, he provided me um, you know an opportunity to really have a provide a career and, and develop all those skills.
2: But he's on record as also saying that you were one of the ones who – because he went through the program, you know, it, both ends of it, i.e. as a player and then therefore witnessing it and then being interested post your, your playing career.
0: Yeah. Um, I actually didn't go through leading teams process as a player. Oh, you didn't? No, okay. no. So I was um, – I ended up being their first um, employer. When I was playing at Carlton because I was a teacher by trade or had been at uni doing teaching degree and <laughs> – and um. And so when I was playing football, I wanted to stay involved in, in, in teaching fraternity and, and leading teams offered that opportunity. Back in the day, it was called Athlete Development Australia um, and offered me the opportunity to go out and work in schools. So that's but the main reason I did it was just to keep my hand in teaching. And when I'd been doing it for a couple of years and then finished playing, um, they said, well, we've got an opportunity for, for a job here. Do you want one? Mm-hmm. So grabbed it with both hands. Because
2: obviously yeah. teaching is a vocation. You feel like you want to do it and you want to share. And, and that's what made David Parkin a great, I think a great coach because he was a qualified teacher, and you know we've, I've had those conversations with Park o. Pete. He's an amazing wealth of knowledge. He yeah. doesn't forget too many things, but he just talks about the fact of, you know, if you find what you love, what you do, you don't do it for the coin. In the end, you do it for the the reward that you get, and there's sort of things that money can't buy. So, uh, and then so then you take the concepts of leading teams, which had an interesting introduction into Australian football, if nothing else. It's been used across so many different other platforms, isn't it? But- oh,
0: absolutely. Um, you know, for, for me, the basic principles behind leading teams was you know, improving performance but with conversation. Um, and so that, in a nutshell, is what I, I um, take it into every day that I work with teams. Not necessarily the way they do it um, doesn't always reflect um, – perfect teams these days, you know, the, the person out the front in different conversations with some teams just um, I suppose aren't prepared for but also one that I don't believe is the way to do it um, conversation-wise because what I want to do is players and teams, whether it be a, a sporting team or a corporate team, to actually have those conversations every day, not wait for a facilitator to have mm. those conversations. So.
2: And so have you ever been in an environment thank – you, thank you for any names or any individuals – but have you ever been in an environment where you go – I can see what the issue is here. It's clearly the leader. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been in that sort of situation? And how do you tackle that if you're trying to get the best out of those as as in your current role now? What, what do you do in that instance? Oh,
0: generally, I'm in a, a reasonably good situation where most of the people, particularly the leaders I work with, um, I've got good enough relationships with them now to tell them that they're the problem. Okay. Um,
2: how do you do that? Can you? Would you be comfortable to share, like, what would you say in that instance?
0: Oh, it, just, it would just be – about a simple observation. You yep. know, if I see them, I'm going, oh, that's, yeah." You know, when I heard you, know, you say that. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that what's happening when you say that? Um, or do you realize why we're seeing this behavior in the team? You know, I might be asking around that. And, you know, generally, if they once they think think about it for a little while, they do understand. But but like everyone, whether, every leader generally is looked at for the answers. Yep. So when they're coming, flying, you know, they might give something off the cuff and do something, trial something. They're not always cognizant of how they're being perceived and and the way the the, the way the message is being received. Yeah. I suppose. Yes. Um. You know, you looked at again going back to the boomers. You look at last night and and Andre had a smile on his face for most of the night in a tight, tense situation. Um. Yeah, and just really seemed to be actually text me this morning saying he really enjoyed the game. But you know, th- and that's part of. I think why the team then felt pretty comfortable mm. you know, the message coming through is yeah. we're calm we're good hey this is working really well keep doing this change a couple of these things you know and i think that's where a leader can have a really big impact um not just looking at the what we need to fix because i suppose in essence the most managers leaders coaches are looking at how we do something better, so they can have a negative lens, um, and being able to flip that into a okay, make that let's make that a positive um, is a really difficult difficult skill. So start. when
2: so when values are clear. Obviously, communication is very easy to have when values are clear. Decisions are very easy to make when values are clear. Everyone's got an absolute ability to buy in, kept accountable too. And as you say, and it's a current theme all the way through this, Pete. You can have better conversations because everyone's clear on why we're having the conversations. We we see something, we say something. If we're Melbourne Storm. You know, Nick Maxwell, a few episodes back, Pete talked about how he went up to Craig Bellamy, arguably one of the greatest coaches mm. in NRL history, if not in the modern day, era, and he says, I'm going I'm, I'm just asking you why are you starting a certain player on the bench when he's got momentum and he's got this and he's got that and blah, 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 and he goes, there's a sign in the wall that says, see something, say something, i give feedback because I care about my club, so I'm just giving you feedback now, and he, he had every right to tell Nick Maxwell, mate, where are you again from, uh, <laughs> AFL, I'm one of the all-time bloody best, and uh, he goes – great point. I take it on board and so that changed what he did with his next behaviour and next decision around that player which I think is what we're hearing, isn't it? Mm.
3: I'm loving how you're looking to add those cogs rather than the fix and I think it's a great a great way to look yeah. at it. I think we're, we're trying to, you know, I guess peel back the layers of the onion if you like and some sort of rebuild and not always it's about a rebuild. It's just it's about those little cogs that might not be just…
0: You know, gelling that well together—that we've got to get happening. Oh, you get very few teams that are, that are really poor. You know, you, it doesn't a, a corporate team if they're a really poor performing team, they don't survive. So they might not be the most effective and efficient team there is, but they're still doing a lot of good things. Otherwise, mm. they wouldn't be in existence. So it's not about reinventing it, not about pulling everything apart. Generally, it's about adjusting some small things.
3: Yeah, I love it. So from leading teams, when now you've founded your own business called Team Effect. Um, which can we do a segue into the, the corporate world now, and 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 some of the the biggest challenges that you're finding in a corporate boardroom or in a corporate environment? Stepping away from the sporting arena now, um, what 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 are you seeing as, as, as the biggest things, the biggest challenges that businesses facing businesses are facing?
0: Um, I suppose uh, when anyone gets a task in an organisation, let's say we've got an organisation, we've got a um, yeah. We sit around as a leadership group and say, well, here's what we need to do. And every one of those leaders has their own department they're managing. Um, what I tend to find in groups when it's not working as effectively as they, as they can, because every one of those direct reports goes away and is trying to do the best they can with their own silo or their own department. Um, when they're actually coming back to the leadership table, the leadership group saying, oh, my group needs this, my group needs that, and they're fighting for their patch, is when it doesn't go as well as it can. Right. So my, where I find if they've really effectively organised at the at the head as the high, at the top level at the leadership group, this is what we need to achieve. Now let's agree on us being a really good team. Then they can work it out. But when they're not a, when they're a disparate team and they're just saying, well, we're silos, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll manage our own silos. That's when I, I see. To, uh, corporate teams not being as effective as they can be.
2: So when they're justifying, my division is doing really, really well.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. My division is going well, or my division needs that. Your, you know. yeah. and my
2: division could do better if you gave me more budget to attack more this. Dah, yeah, dah, dah. yeah, yep.
0: but but agree on that at a at a um, strategic level. Once you've agreed on that, then yes, okay, your de- department needs this. I can help you. How am I going to help your department a bit more rather than just protect your own patch?
2: Do you buy into the fact that Generation X is still in the workforce? millennials and Generation Next, uh, that there's such a chasm between the way they value things, do things, it's very, very hard to bring them united into a, a corporate team?
0: It does make it more difficult. Um,
2: so what are some of your strategies to narrow the gap?
0: Be really clear about what the organization wants to do and how they fit into it. Everyone really wants to feel valued. Yep. And uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you, what generation you come from, you need to feel like I've actually had some tangible results and I've... I've I've done some good stuff for the organisation. Uh, the clearer we can be about the organisational purpose and the objectives and the strategy around it and then how each individual is involved in that, the more, you know- the more relative it becomes
2: how good is that point ben? Mm. I've never met anyone yet who ever said to me you know what Rick the problem here is I feel overvalued <laughs> overappreciated <laughs> overappreciated I get told constantly that I'm living the values I mean I'm just sick of it I'm sick of hearing that no <laughs> yeah. one ever hears like, <laughs> it,
3: what, and, re- and regardless of what generation you're from as well is it, everyone
2: feels it. it's a human need absolutely but you know I think you know if if we to sort of maybe talk a bit of that corporate world versus you know the old director as opposed to a, a mundane consultative leader, there is a little bit of that, you know, generation next to everyone's got a ribbon from when they were five so they all think they're bloody superstars and entitled, you know, and then you hear some directors go, you know, these generation millennials, they want to start off as CEO and work their way up from there. Yet then you hear someone like, you know, our boost juice lady, Janine Alice, Alice, talking about the fact that her her understanding is totally different. She's found generation next to millennials some of the most driven – some of the most, uh, you know, really passionate and motivated workers if you give them very clear, uh, you know, direction and give them a clear purpose for why they're doing what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree.
2: Yeah. Well, I loved it when Jules Lund said that, you know, anyone –
3: in that millennials should be just yeah. doing as many jobs as they possibly can between their twenties and in their twenties. Yep. Between twenty and thirty and just find out what it is where you're gonna have the most passion about, but try everything. Yeah. Do everything. And, th- and we're in an environment like that. So you can't cast your own sort of
0: belief, sort of systems onto someone else. You've got to let them evolve themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think I don't think if you're if you're not passionate about it, it's very hard to be good at it. Yeah. Um and so I think that Jules Spot on. Around try as many things as you can. If you're passionate about it, you'll be good. And, and if you're good, someone will pay you to do it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, his view was: then when you're 30, then you go back and go. Of those five things I did for two year blocks over the last decade, what was it? I was really would, would do it for nothing. What would it? Well, that's what I've really now got to go find a way to get economic reward for it. So. Yeah.
3: Could we talk about um, just move on to talking about feedback and and it, you know from a from a leader in a business or from from just generally within an office environment? If you, you know we, we talk about see something, say something, and so forth like that. Any tips on um, sort of how to provide feedback and? Uh, in, in a way that's
0: non threatening, in a way that's not offensive, in a way that's incredibly constructive. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I would say don't do when you're going to give feedback, you say, I want to give you some feedback. <laughs> okay. There's a tip, there's a <laughs> hack. Walls generally come up straight away. Um, for me, it's just around engaging the person you know, for their own interest. Hey, I've noticed this, I'm seeing this. How are you going with it? Yeah. You know, asking a question. Um, is a great way to start conversations around performance discussions. You know, why are we doing it this way? Is there a different way? Uh, You know, just going out and telling someone that they've done a poor job or that they're doing something wrong generally gets someone's backup. Mm. Um, I've also seen, you know, if you you think about, Someone who I don't have a great relationship with, if I walk up and give them feedback, they generally go, you're just being a prick. Yep. Yeah. Someone who I have a good relationship with and I go and I go and talk to them about performance, they'll generally go, thanks, that's great, I'll try that. Yeah. You know. So for me, the, the stronger our relationships are with, our, with each individual, the better off we are. Um, and that's when you think – and if you think about um, our workplace, what we tend to do is we spend time, more and more time with the person who we just clicked with. Jeez, I had fun with you today. I'll spend more time with you and less time with Rick. Yeah. You know? And, and what will happen is I'll develop a stronger relationship with you really quickly, and then we'll work better. Because we didn't click on the first day, for, for the fact that you had it stubbed your toe and whatever it was on the way in, regardless, we just didn't get along. So, yeah. so I think sometimes we go, yeah, it didn't click, I will just won't bother with that relationship. Yeah. Um, so, you know, invest across the board.
2: I think that's really good feedback. It's a bit like Collingwood Carlton. He grew up back for Carlton, played for Collingwood, then left and went and played for Carlton. That's a bit like that, isn't it? You know, your well,
0: your kids
3: are all split, aren't they? In yeah, the third yeah, one yeah,
2: well, doesn't really
0: know yeah. who yeah. As well yeah, well, them, I think right? he's. I think we sort of got him on board with Carlton now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How the hell did you do that? <laughs> 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 Better future, maybe, Rick. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I live in the moment. I live in the moment, Pete. I live in the moment. Preliminary final. Got to live in the moment. Yeah, I don't anymore. We've
0: been. We've been. Diligent with our 25-year plan at Calvin, We'll be all right. We'll yeah, there.
2: yeah. It's, uh- yeah.
3: <laughs> so, uh, so, Trent, what are do you doing your, in your spare time? What's, uh, what, what's
0: the Hotton household look like? Uh, I, I basically feel like I run a taxi service for, <laughs> for the kids. Um, Uber dad. Yeah, Uber dad. My oldest is 15 and my youngest is 10. Um and yeah, the, the three of them are playing a lot of sports, so I'm sort of driving them around and, um, you know, are going. They good, and you got your genes. Uh, they, they enjoy it. They're, they're pretty good. Um, they love it, and that's the, that's the main thing. I'm happy to drive them anywhere to do something that's not playing a computer or a gadget. Yeah, and what do
2: you do on those rare nights when the boys aren't around? You and Deb have a bit of quiet time. What's the uh, what's the way you reconnect with each other? What fills your cup as a as a couple?
0: Well, unfortunately, we don't have enough of those nights. So, yeah, Dev and I, we're a bit foodies, so we'll, we'll tend to like to grab a bite, but it's- Deb, Deb says, called us and asked us to yeah, ask she that oh, question. Yeah, she, she did. did.
2: <laughs> I think she mentioned something about Crown Towers Villa. <laughs> I heard a villa. That's all I heard. Might have been Como Villa. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Something like that. I'm <laughs> sure she would. She
0: <laughs> loves a night out.
2: But you guys are childhood sweethearts, kind of. Yeah, we've been together a long time. So. Kind
0: of, yes. Yeah, we've been together since- uh, oh, Probably mid 20, 25 but we yeah. did know each other as uh, as yeah. teenagers.
2: Yeah, yeah. You did the usual, go over there, mate. There's a real hot chick playing
0: netball, and you've gone, yeah, she's real hot. And then <laughs> took your time. It must be said to well, sort of yeah, close yes. the it, deal there. It did. It did <laughs> a little bit. I had to. She tells me I had to do a lot of growing up before uh, before that happened.
2: Could judge a character. <laughs> my wife <laughs> says
0: she had met me in my twenties. There would have been no chance.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. There's still a chance in your thirties, but that's a story for another time. But you're now, uh, as you as Pete was mentioning, you're working with. You don't have to be in an elite organisation to engage your expertise. So you're available to speak to a Maran and Park corner store as well as a big multinational company. You're available to help any organisation so long as time permits, uh, whether it be your current work at the moment is on the world stage with the boomers, get all that. But you're very happy to work with organisations close to home as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I do a. I- a lot of work with our local groups and different things. I, I know I, I spent some time with the Mansfield Footy Club um, where my brother was coaching, so we went up and used to run the <laughs> pre-season camps up there and, and that's where uh, Guy Taylor uh, put me in for this one. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. a good connection to yours. The Eagles,
2: good, uh, good club that one. Yeah, the Eagles. Are they sponsored yeah. by the agency at all? Or?
0: Uh, not yet.
3: They no. uh they Will be, will no. be though? Yeah, I, I love the fact that they've got their super box up there that – that guy and his dad Phil uh, designed there, and his we're <laughs> going to get a get a group of mates up here. We get about a dozen of us in that super box there. Uh, oh, I think it
0: fits twenty. Does it fit twenty? Oh, yeah, well, it's, it's expanded over the years. It, it used to have about. Oh, is is, is that the coach's box over there? No, that's just the super's box. So is that the
2: Medallion Club of Mansfield?
0: Is <laughs> it that, really is. Is that what it is? Yeah. Now it's a big a big day for the for the boys at the super box. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get into. It? It's usually it's uh, sold out often pretty early in the oh, year. I bloody love country footy though. Yeah, so, so Trent, is the best access to you through the website? Is that how best Yeah, yeah, you know, I assume that the… link uh, will be The uh, uh, link will be there,
2: will be there. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, the website's usually… TeamEffect.com.au, teamEffect.com.au, and, different
2: and, different things things like team and uh, we would strongly recommend that you make the effort to reach out because uh, clearly this is a man who's seen it from both sides of the fence. He's seen elite performance as a player. He understands what takes uh, elite teams to the next level. He's done it at home. He's done it. In Hampton, he's done it around the world. He's been into the UK. Uh, I think it's fair to say that when you start talking, you know, elite organisations, and they call on this man. The opportunity you've had today to listen and/or watch on Voices of Value is certainly a gift that we don't now take for granted. We really appreciate the opportunity, don't we, Pete? Absolutely.
3: Thanks, Trent. Thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing that. As I said, that wealth of knowledge that you've had, and from um, from interesting times there, I, I, I think you've got an incredible story and. Um, but what what remains true to me is you had very strong values, very strong family values from a very young age, and you've just followed that through, and that's that's been your your compass, if you like, your moral compass, and uh, and you found your field, and you're doing amazing things, and people are just raving about you, and. You know, from Melbourne United to the Boomers to the Silver Ferns uh, on on the sporting stage to some of the great, you know, corporate sort of stage as well. Some of the Mm. great um, companies there, they just um, rave about you. And to have you on Voice of Value is is a real pleasure, so thank you.
2: No worries. Thank you for having me. And again, as always, team, if you found some value here, please rate it. Please share it with your teams. If you're enjoying the audio, there is a YouTube link that you'll see on this particular podcast that you can go on and watch. Share it with everybody because we're into sharing the value that's been uh, available in this episode as well as our former 46 or 47 episodes as well. So on behalf of everybody at Voices of Value, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing the message. And most importantly, thanks to our very special guest this week, Trent Houghton. Thank you.
1: trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton, Peter Kakos, and their valued guests. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source, and we love to hear both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Additional information can be sourced through our website, Voices of Value podcast, Com. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice and the value-added way.